All right, good morning. It was good to see. I told them they've been holding out on me. First three weeks. Where's everybody been? This is awesome. All right. Amen. What a, what a great start to our worship service today. A um, few announcements before I begin. Uh, as Ashley said, we're starting a Bible, a new series next week, and I think it's uh, very timely for where we are in our personal lives, in our culture. Uh, it's called Soul Reset. There is a book that goes along with it, and I'm putting it out to all the life groups. If you guys would like to go through those or go through this series, I'm, I'm willing to participate, facilitate. Um, I want to join your life groups as much as I possibly can. And if you're not in a life group, uh, please contact us either at uh, info at rockbridgelife.com or call us so we can have an idea of who would be interested and we can set up a Zoom call. We don't have a, a date yet because I kind of want to see uh, what works for all those who call. So through the life groups and through a, a joint group of those that might not be in life groups, or, or you can go through it individually. Um, but I think this is a, a great series to kind of remember who we are as Wesleyans, but uh, just in the midst of all that's going on, to say, how is it with your soul? And uh, with that in mind, also this is a great opportunity to reach out. To reach out to somebody, a neighbor, a co-worker, family member that um, you know might be struggling, that might need a little soul reset, a soul check-in. Uh, so this is an opportunity um, in this time. We have to look for opportunities to reach out to folks. And so here is another great opportunity uh, to reach out to folks. Um, and also continue to be intentional about your own daily walk with Christ. Uh, when we're not gathering in community, but virtually, um, there is some uh, support there, but we're going to have to be more intentional about our own discipleship and staying close to Christ, staying close to God, but also being intentional about reaching out to folks uh, because it, it's kind of a dynamic where people, we're in a time where people need people more than ever, and yet it's harder to uh, reach out to them yeah, because of all of our limitations, but we can find new ways to do that. Um, so, all right, to close out our series here, I'm going to share with you uh, a verse, uh, of, well, a few verses. It's kind of long, but it is, in my Christian faith, it is the first scripture, as I came to the Lord in my 20s and began reading, it is the first scripture that really grabbed a hold of me. You know, we know that the words on the page aren't necessarily truth. They've been misused throughout time, throughout history for personal agendas and personal things. But we know that uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that when you take the words with the Spirit, you get the truth. We can't discern the Spirit of God without, or the things of God without the Spirit of God. And so that we have those times when we read scripture and it makes sense in our head and, and it's uh, intellectually uh, feasible and, and, and clicks with us. But then there's those other times that all of that takes place, but in our hearts, there's something more that, that grabs a hold of you and, and reveals a much deeper truth where you go, there is something here. 
And this is the very first scripture. Since that time, praise God, there's been a lot more. But this is the very first scripture as a very young Christian in my early 20s um, that it got a hold of me and I said, this is real. So I want to share that with you as we close today, this series uh, about love. And today's title is God is Love. So beginning in 1 John chapter 4, um, beginning in verse 7. Listen for the word of the Lord. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God and so we know and rely on the love of God, that the love of God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates their brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of God for the people of God. So, we've kind of come full circle in this series for those of you who have been at each part and remember back to the beginning. Our love for God is lived out, our scripture is telling us, in our love for others. Anyone who loves God, our text says, must love their brother or sister. And said another way, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. God is love. Short, one of the shortest sentences, not the shortest, but one of the shortest sentences in the Bible. And one of the most definitive, God is love. And God first loved us. While we were yet sinners, while we were rebellious, while we were unfaithful, God loved us. That is the purest form 
of love. If you remember a few sermons back, we talked about the worldly love, a reciprocity of this barter, this kind of trading system. I love you for what you do for me and back and forth. But when you are unloved back and yet you still love, that is the ultimate love. And our text says that God showed this ultimate love to us by sending his one and only son. So that we might live. And he gave his life that we might have life. Life abundantly in this world and life eternally with him. This is the ultimate of expression of the ultimate love. There is no greater love than this than one would give their life for another. Jesus came, as we talked about to fulfill the requirements of the law, to go to the cross. And when we talk about salvation in Christ, there, there's the kind of Eastern Orthodox theology, and then there's the Western the understanding kind of symbolism. And the Western is more legalistic, more punitive, that, God, that we, Jesus paid a debt that uh, he didn't know because we owed a debt that he couldn't pay, and for the justice... He, he took our place. And the Eastern Orthodox is more of a healing and, and new birth type. And it's not one is wrong, but together that gives us a, a fuller picture. So number one, um, God is a just God. Malachi says God is a God of justice. And so a God of justice must meet the requirements of the law. He's not going to let, God's not going to let sin and evil go unanswered. And so Jesus went to the cross and gave his life out of love so that we might have life, that he might pay the requirements of the law. But that's not the, that's only one part of it. You remember, in, and some of them still do, those hotel rooms that have the double doors between the two rooms. So like if your family needed two rooms, you could have the two rooms and you could have the adjoining doors. Well, on those doors, there, you have one side in one room that it can be unlocked, but you can't still get in the other one. And on the other side, you have the other one that can be unlocked. And, you, and to, in order to get through the door, they both have to be unlocked. And now this is kind of loose, but that's how we can think of Jesus and what he has done for us. Uh, the, the way, the door back to God. On one side, there's the requirement of the law that must be open. And, and so that's the fully human part. This is a, a theological concept of fully human, fully divine. Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. On the fully human part, he couldn't be the sacrifice for our sin if he was not human. If he didn't have his will. If he couldn't have had the possibility to sin. And so that's what Jesus did on the cross to open that side of the door, to fulfill the requirements of a just God. The other side of that, the other piece of that door that needed to be opened to our, the way back to God is that we were going to be born into new birth, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That in Christ, we have our way back to God. If we go back to Genesis, 
as kind of a synopsis, if we go back to Genesis and, and we remember original sin and at the base of that original sin that we chose our will over God's will. God gave one law, God gave one command, and humanity chose their will over God's will. And what do we do in Jesus Christ? When we accept him, as our scripture says, as the son of God who gave his life that we might have life, we say, I no longer want my will. I want God's will. And what, what did Jesus do in the garden just before he went? Remember, uh, Adam and Eve... And that understanding of original sin were tempted to choose their will over God's will. And they took it. Thus comes the brokenness, the separation between us and God. In the garden, fast forward, in the garden, Jesus said he expressed his will. In his prayer, he goes, my translation, he said, I would rather not do this, God. There's his will. But what did he do? He said, not my will, but your will be done. And so when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we say, I don't want my will. I want the one who chose God's will. And his righteousness becomes our righteousness. His faithfulness becomes our faithfulness. And we have made it through the door back to God. And God loved us so much that he gave us that opportunity. And our text says that God is love, and if we say we are in God, and we accept Jesus Christ as the Son of God, who gave his life that we might have life, then the very Spirit of God comes and lives in us. It comes and dwells in us. And so, there's a couple things that happen when that takes place. And I'm going to, sometimes I concentrate on different things when we talk about this scripture, but I'm going to spend a little more time on the first one. There's two things that happen, our scripture tells us, if you caught those. One, perfect love drives out fear. And two, if we have the very spirit of God in us, we have the very spirit of love, selfless love in us, and we can't say we have the spirit of that God in us if we don't love one another. So fear will be driven, perfect love drives out fear, and if we say we love God, we will love others. But let's look at um, fear. First, and probably more specifically to our text, it's saying that perfect love drives out fear, and it refers to fear of judgment and fear of punishment. So, specifically, it's talking about, it drives out the fear because we are no longer under the law. Because if we are under a law, Galatians says, we are under a curse. Because the law can't save us. The law can't justify us. We can't live by it. We're not, we can't be good enough, holy enough, righteous enough, faithful enough. The Old Testament, uh, the, the story of the Old Testament and God's people and our own experience should tell us that. And if we, deep down, if we realize it's up to us to be good enough and holy enough, worthy enough, there's fear because we don't measure up. Especially when it comes to the holiness of God. 
And so if we're left to the, the judgment of the wall, Paul tells us in Romans that the, with the law comes condemnation, comes punishment, comes judgment. And so what it's telling us, we are free from that fear because it is no longer dependent on us. Jesus has given his life, has met the requirements of the law, and so we are free from condemnation. We are free from punishment. We are free from judgment because of what Christ has done for us. So we have no more fear. But I want to talk about fear in, in, a, in a couple other ways, kind of maybe um, sub-levels of fear. Because we, we understand that we, in our head, if we're Christian, uh, we, we understand that Jesus has freed us from the requirements of the law, that we are no longer under condemnation and judgment, but we live in grace, and that we're free from the law, but we get stuck there because of ourselves. So many times I see Christians that have trouble. I, I will confess, I have trouble. Living in the concept of grace. Because it's so foreign to us, if we really think about it. Because that's not how the world operates. It's what can you do for me? Are you worthy? Are you good enough? You must achieve. You must earn your way. You must look out for number one. And so I think it's hard for us to, to live in grace. And so we continually try to justify ourselves. Try to share about what we, all the good that we do. Remember we talked a few sermons ago about Jesus speaking to the Pharisees about this. So you want to sit at the front of the table? You want your tassels to be glorious? You want to pray out in long, wordy prayers so that you show off to people when you're fasting? You want everyone to know? That's all signs of them trying to be worthy, trying to justify themselves, trying to make it about them. And that's our nature. Because that's the world we live in. And so as Christians, we have to be careful. Jesus Christ has set us free that we live in grace and that we are loved. And to live in that truth. Love in the world is about doing. And we have to do and, and we, because we live in this world. And we show our love to others by actions. But remember back before the split? The relationship was about being in each other's presence, about being in love, living in love. And we have to learn and remind ourselves that we have been set free because we are so afraid if we admit to ourselves, and maybe it's the words anxious, it may, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I should say, I am so afraid of not being worthy. So afraid that I don't measure up. So anxious to justify my existence and my importance. I don't know if it's just me or in your job. There's fear and there's anxiety that I'm not enough. 
And Jesus says, I have freed you from that. Because the answer is, when we are fearful, when we are outside of grace, and we are fearful about, am I a good enough mother? Am I a good enough father? I'm at that stage in, in being a father where I look at my kids, they're young adults, and, and every other day, I, I, it depends on the day. Man, I was a good dad. Man, I need to go apologize to every kid I have and just say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't, you know, I should have been better. It just depends on the day, and we can just live in that because the truth is we are never going to be good enough in the sense of being perfect, in the sense of justifying. We might be really good in some area of our life, but fall short in another area of our life. Or we'll be really good up to a point, but we're not going to be perfect. That's the freedom. When people come to me and say, Pastor, I just don't feel worthy. I say, good news, you're not. You're not. And you don't have to be. And when we begin to live in that freedom, we become better. Remember, you don't transform yourself. Jesus transformed you. The Holy Spirit transformed you. It's the very Spirit of God that comes in us and drives out that fear that says, you've got to stop worrying about being worthy enough because you're not, but Jesus is. That's the good news. Perfect love drives out fear that we're not enough because we don't have to be anymore. And when you begin to live in that freedom, it's amazing how God begins to transform your heart and your mind. And then I want to talk about, I don't know if anybody can relate to this aspect of fear. Fear of the future. Fear of the unknown. The list is long and immediate these days. Health. Finances, kids, uh, pandemic, political unrest, division in the country, uh, world conflict. I mean, the list is long. There, there's a lot that we can be afraid of. But even in the midst of this storm, of, as, as uh, Josh said when he was speaking, we, we, this, this world is not heaven. Sometimes, and especially in our culture, we live so well, we think it is. And then when something tragic happens, we, we, we're a little taken back. But people live in, in third world countries, are, are, there it's a struggle every day. And they know this world is not heaven. And they, they pray, they hope this world is not heaven. Right? So, we... It's understandable to be afraid, but we don't have to be afraid. And, it, and let me clarify something, because a natural question to this is, well, if I'm afraid, if I have fear, does that mean I don't have perfect love? Does that mean I'm not being perfected in the love, or I don't have spirit? No, it doesn't mean that. It means we get distracted. Hebrew says, fix your eyes on Christ. And when our eyes are fixed on Christ and the things of the kingdom, 
and all that is involved, then we will not be afraid. But we get distracted. Right? The centurion in the Gospels, we can believe and still have trouble believing. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because we're only human. And think about Peter walking on water, right? There goes Jesus. He's walking on right. Peter's right out there. He wants to be just like Jesus. He wants to be a second man. He wants to be the guy. He goes, call me and I'll come. And Jesus says, come on. And then he's walking. He's doing it. And then what happens? The wind and the storm and the rain picks up and he gets distracted and he sinks. So when we're feeling fearful, it might be justified in this world, but remember also, you might be a little distracted. And so that's why I say um, we need to be very intentional about our personal discipleship when we're isolated so much. We need to make sure that we're fixing our hearts and fixing our eyes on Christ through the means of grace that we are given through prayer, through scripture through what contact we can have virtually or otherwise, through our worship, and through what kind of service we can do at these times. All those things keep us fixed on what is important in this life and keep our heart and our minds fixed on Christ. And so we'll all be afraid, but that doesn't mean God's not working in us or the Spirit's not here. It just means we got distracted. So we got to be intentional and not being distracted. But we don't need to be afraid. And I just want to hold up three quick things. Because God will always tell us the truth. He'll never lie to us. Right? Sometimes we, in church, we try to reach out to people and just tell them how rosy life is. And, and how everything's going to be downhill from here. And, you know, you, you go to Jesus, you're on the mountaintop, you stay there. Not in this world. You go to the mountaintop, you get filled up, you go back down into the valley. You get, you get empty tank, go find another mountaintop and go back down to the valley. But Jesus never told us that. Jesus said, he was always truthful. In this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Told his disciples, they persecuted me, they're not going to persecute you. Jesus never promised a rose garden. He never said it was going to be easy because we don't live in heaven. He never promised it it was going to be easy. What he promised, it's going to be worth it. It's worth it because of what he has done for us. And God tells us, number two, he'd never leave us, never forsake us. That he's always with us. And whether we have moved or grown distance, whether we have taken our eyes off of God, or like last week, we have grown distance and moved over, we need to know that God is always there. God did not move. Back in, I don't know, his early 2000s, Time Magazine or one of those um, publications came out with a story about Mother Teresa, and the title was, Oh, She Doubted in Her Faith. And what it was, they published some pr private journal entries. And somebody, I didn't read it, somebody had come and asked me what I thought about this. I said, I hadn't read it, let me read it. And basically what it was, it was some experts of her saying, I don't feel God. 
I don't think he hears me. I don't feel his presence. It was her lamenting about a time in her life. And the person came back and we talked. I said, no, actually, I think this shows the ultimate faith. Because she talked about what she didn't feel or what she couldn't see. But she never stopped serving or doing what God had called her to do. Because she trusted him. In Job, Job says at one point, even though you slay me, yet will I trust you. So knowing God's character and God's nature, and even at that time, we don't feel him knowing that we can trust him in all things. So God will never lie to us. He is always faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. And the, lastly, we don't have to be afraid because we know the ending. We know how it ends. And it's going to be rough and there's going to be some mountains and some valleys and individually and collectively as a world. But in the end, we win. We have victory. I love, I listened to Chris's sermon a few weeks before I got here and I'd never heard this. Pastor, you think you've heard all these little catchy phrases and sayings, but he said, in the, with God, it'll always be okay or good in the end. And if it's not good, okay, it's not the end. I love that. Because we know the end. My wife does not like watching suspenseful movies. She goes, she likes to watch them. But she doesn't watch him. Hey, let's watch that. You're not going to like it. Oh, no, I'll watch it. And I look over. And she's like this. But if she knows the ending, she can watch it. It might be suspenseful. But she can watch it. We know the ending because God has promised us. That he sent his only son to give us life. And if we have the Spirit of God, our Scripture tells us that we will love one another. We will love like God has loved us. Just like Jesus tells him, disciples, love one another as I have loved you. And if you love one another as I have loved you, the world will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. And fast forward to our text today, 1 John says, God is love. If we confess Jesus is the Son of God, we will receive the very Spirit of God. And if we have the very Spirit of God in us, we will live in His love, and He will love, and His love will live in us. And the world will know that if we love one another. This text really asks us a question. How can you say that you have the very Spirit of God in you, who is love? And if it is in you, and you have the love of God in you, how can you say that, that you can love a God you can't see if you can't love a people God created and you can see? The answer is, we can't. We can't. The world, the church, needs to reclaim that truth and to understand 
in this deeply divided world, in this world full of fear and anxiety, our biggest witness to the love, our love for God who we can't see is how we love one another. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Lord, you showed your love for us and that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ. That he gave his life that we might have life abundantly in this world and eternally with you to come. So, Lord, as we come to communion, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, that you would speak to us through this sacrament about the love of Christ and the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.